Welcome to MVP Talks, brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios. I'm your host, Mark Rippon. Sitting across from me is my good friend, Todd Durkin. Welcome, Todd. Great to be here, Mark. Thank you for showing up. That's very nice of you. <laughs> in your studio, In of my course. studio. <laughs> it's great to have you in studio on your show. Yes, and I was very blessed and fortunate to do your show, too, and thank Absolutely. you for allowing me to uh, have that opportunity. Two-time personal trainer of the year, 2017 Jack LaLaney Award recipient. Yep. Greatest name, Todd. One of the top 100. Greatest name, Todd. That is cool. Greatest name, me. One of the top influencers. So that's that's kind of the official. The official. Yeah. The greatest, greatest. Greatest of greatest. 100 we'll most influential people in health and fitness for the past four years. You're an internationally recognized strength, speed, and conditioning coach. Speed is not maybe my um, my forte, but... The I probably could have been a little bit quicker if I had you <laughs> behind my reins. Personal trainer, body worker that has trained many NFL players, including another Super Bowl MVP, Drew Brees, mm-hmm. as well as Ladanian Thomason, Reggie Bush, Carson Palmer. Boy, he's a big man. Mm-hmm. God, I love Carson, including my nephew, Brett Rippon, also right. here. Your gym where we're at today, Fitness Quest 10, was named one of America's top 10 gyms by Men's Health for the past five years. In addition to the high-profile athletes you train, it also attracts many fitness enthusiasts of all ages, shapes, sizes, like myself and my 30-day program (laughs) I'll be going through with you, and levels who want to improve their overall health and fitness performance. You're also a motivational speaker. I love listening to your stuff on on LinkedIn and Instagram and all that, and authors who's published three best-selling books, one of them right behind us here. Get your mind right. Get your mind right. The Wow Book and the Impact Book. We'll probably Mm -hmm. get into those a little bit more in detail. These books have helped transform the lives of thousands of people through motivation, education, and inspiration. And you're on 60 Minutes. Not only that, you're on like probably every health magazine there's been (laughs) in the last... uh, hundred years that have been available here, and uh, did I miss anything? It just means I've been around for a long time, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) How the hell are you doing, Todd? I'm doing great, man. Great to be here. Thank you. Yes. First thing I have to ask you, where the heck do you get all your energy? Man, my morning routine, my workout. Honestly, it's my workouts. The days I don't work out are the days I don't feel energized. And I was literally thinking about that this morning. I was, I start it with some quiet time. Then I get into my home gym. I get in the elliptical. I start to move. I listen to some podcasts uh, or videos. And like 18 minutes in, it's kind of like my magical number. And all of a sudden, it's like, zzz, zzz, I start to feel a little energy buzz. Yeah. And then, then I start to be able to think about my day and, and get into it. That's honestly where I get my energy from. I've always been a high energy guy, but I don't wake up. You're like, you wake up like that? No, I don't actually. It's, it's manifested, it's created, it's, it's uh, something that I've got to work on through my routine. And if I don't do my routine, it's average energy. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So I have to work on my morning. It takes me nowadays, like from, from the time I wake up to the time that 18-minute mark hits, it's about an hour. <laughs> so it's about an hour to get my mind right. Well, that's thing. I, I mean, as a leader, you know, quarterback, as quarterbacks, you know, we yep. kind of find that way to lead and and i think that uh, even talking to brett you know he's working out here he says just just seeing you every morning your motivation and getting the guys going and getting not the guys guys and gals and everyone yeah. here i mean it's it's uh that's pretty cool it's people though too yeah. like when i'm training brett um and and as most of your people probably know you know brett rippin uh with the broncos when, when there's a group of guys or a group uh, i'm training these athletes a group of people raises energy 
So when I well, during the pandemic, when I wasn't training people, yeah. I was like a lost soul. I was like a sheep. Really? Yes, because I wasn't training. I wasn't doing my thing, and mm-hmm. it was like I'm I'm stuck in the house, and I, I was doing lives because it was my way of connecting with people. But people, especially when you have the right people that you're around, it's they're either energy raisers or they're energy vampires. Yeah. And to me, I love being around people that are going to lift the energy of a room. And uh, Brett's one of those guys. And the athletes I work with, when I'm pouring into someone, lifts my energy up. So I got to take care of my energy first. But then I'm I'm really careful uh, on on who I spend time with uh, here at Fitness Quest Ten and and what I do. Yeah, that's that's that's. Uh, I tell you, you could see it through your. You're uh, just walking through and watching people work out. They're excited to be here. They want to yeah. be here. And I think that stems from from the leadership here. So tell me a little bit about your beginnings. You're one of the – you're the youngest I of am. eight kids. Eight. And what was that like growing up? I had to fight for food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up back in Jersey, uh, down the Jersey Shore. I was uh, five years old. My mom and dad got divorced. And it was a tough Sorry. time because, you know, when you're when you're growing up, your youngest of eight kids, you don't really know that, you know, your, your parents are having these tough times. But what I did realize this is I was the kid, I was the lunch ticket kid. So we were, we didn't have a lot of money and uh, I'd have lunch tickets, subsidized meals. So when I go, went to school, elementary school, then middle school, and then even high school, I'd have these orange lunch tickets and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I had to show it in line. I didn't want my friends to see it. So I'd kind of turn myself to the lunch lady and hand her my ticket. Um, but man, I love my mom. My mom was a just, she is uh, to this day at 87 years old. She epitomizes love. That's Worked awesome. three jobs. Um, um, and from the age of five to 10, my dad was kind of missing in my life. And what happened was I'm, I'm going through school and I was kind of a little runt, literally. <laughs> uh, and one teacher in the fourth grade turned my life around and showed me what it was like to be more empathetic and loving and compassionate about other people. And um, Mrs. Whitaker was her name. I still remember her name. And also uh, at that point at age 10, my father came back into my life. And um, I think because of guilty, of you know, he was guilty. He felt guilty from leaving sure. and everything else. I was the actual, the beneficiary of him coming back into our family because as the youngest, all of a sudden he started pouring into me and my next oldest sister, Karen. So he started pouring into me like, he's like, Todd, listen, I want you to, I know you're playing soccer now, but try basketball, football, and baseball. Just give it a shot. If you don't like it, don't play after that. So I did. And I found great success with all three sports and, and soon started standing out. And all the way through high school, um, I was a, what, I started in all those sports as a freshman wow. in varsity, uh, except freshman year, I broke my ankle playing baseball. So I never, I never played that year, but I, I, I excelled in sports and I realized we didn't have a lot of money, but if I could use sports as a way to get through college, um, then that was going to be a great opportunity. And, um, by my senior year, I had opportunities to go to the Naval Academy, West Point, uh, Rutgers, James Madison, William and Mary, and, uh, ultimately ended up at William and Mary. And, um, I give my father a lot of credit because, uh, he came back in my life at a very pivotal age at age 10 and he poured into me and I got his time. And, um, my mom and him were amicable after that. And uh, it was an interesting, interesting when you look back, wow, like how, how that time period certainly formulated even the way I think now about money and the way I think about hard work and grit, tenacity, all the things it takes to be successful in today's day. 
were you always looking at your younger going through high school or, or grade school high school college being physically fit was there a formula that you had or was no i didn't have a formula but i did excel uh uh, on on the sports fields early on, um, I always played with an older soccer team, and I was often the MVP of the team. And um, I, they used to call me Tough Todd because I, I was a little run. I really yeah. was. I liked to fight. I actually got into fights all the time after school, up from like five, you know five years old. Literally, I would fight kids uh, up until like ten years old, and I liked to fight. And um, and it was it was it was part of just I don't know I, I just like to at that time. The only um, fight I ever lost is when I tripped and fell trying to run away from one. <laughs> yeah, I did not like to fight. My brother Tim loved it all the time. I don't he just know why I, I just honestly don't. Was in, I, I liked physicality. I like. Yeah. I mean, I, by the way, those eight. I have five sisters. So it was two boys, five girls, and then me. So I probably like I had a lot of a lot of estrogen around yeah. me. I probably liked the physicality of hitting people and wrestling. I, I used to wrestle. Um, I liked football. All those things. I just um, I grew up uh, excelling in sports at a young age, and I didn't know why. I just was I was athletic. Sure, sure. I think I mean a lot of what what you said about your youth resonates with my youth too. Is that didn't have anything growing up, but what I did have is I had a great you know great. Uh, um, ability just to be around other kids and, and putting on a uniform mm. just you know made mm-hmm. me equal yep. made me feel a sense of equal equality you know like because I was awkward I think I told you in your podcast I was awkward I was clumsy it was everything else but people made fun of me but then when I put on a uniform and I went out there and played then they say well you can make fun of that kid he's pretty good that's right you know sounds like you too like you just kind of had that innate ability to be good at whatever you Picked yeah, up and the and other did. thing too, as I got into high school, I I was disciplined. Like I knew I had a goal that I wanted to go to college and use football to go to college. So I didn't party. I wasn't distracted. I was pretty focused. I was good in school. Sure. Um, and I had some good mentors and coaches around me that were keeping me in line by that point. So I lived a pretty regimented life. I think that's why the academies were interested in me hmm. um, because I was I was very like dialed in with my routine, my focus. Um, and that opened up opportunities. Well, you chose Bill and Mary, huh? <laughs> and you went down to Williamsburg, Virginia, you know, from guy from New Jersey down into the we'll, well talk about a little, little, little funny little story here, Mark, is when I ultimately chose William Mary, it, it really came down to Naval Academy and William Mary. And just at that time at 17, 18 years old, I didn't want to commit at that point nine years of my life between Naval Academy and that. So I chose Bill and Mary. And I went from being, you know, growing up in Jersey, you're a Giants fan. I went from a Giants fan, now I'm going to Redskins <laughs> country. And being in Redskins country, uh, I learned all about the Redskins, including a, a guy named Mark Rippon, who was the quarterback. So, like, I grew up like Phil Sims and, and that whole oh, yeah, Hostetler, yeah. Hostetler, yeah. you know, Joe Sims and McConkie, all the guys, all the Giants. And now I'm getting introduced to all the Redskins because my roommate was the biggest Redskins fan. Yeah. So we, every Sunday, would watch the Redskins. And and uh, and Joe Gibbs. Because J.D. Son, is son, J.D. JD. Now, did J.D., uh, let me ask you, did J.D., was he, did he move from being a quarterback to a uh, defensive back he did he was a d-back was um, that because of you when no because jd was two years older than yeah. me so by the time i got there he was already he's already there was D-back. a there was a quarterback there named chris hakel mm-hmm. who went to the redskins by the way fourth round out of way america yes. hakel yep. um who was a quarterback in front of me mm-hmm. he was two years ahead of me and uh jd gibbs went to d-back and started for several years at william and mary because of probably a guy like hakel who was very very gifted yeah, and JD was an awesome guy. He was, 
He literally, I mean, JD and I used to go to Fellowship of Christian Athletes all the time together. Um, he was just a very humble guy. Sure, sure. You got your Bachelor of Science degree in kinesiology. Is, is that kind of what you wanted to <laughs> ex- extend your life with? Did you want to go to the NFL? Were there any... any... Yeah, my, that was my dream. Yep. I, I went to William America. It was a surefire way to go to the NFL. <laughs> I like the fact that it had great, great academics and, and great athletics. And one of the reasons why I didn't go to the Naval Academy, because as an 18-year-old, you're thinking... Hey, maybe if I, if I if I'm that good, then I can't go to the NFL because I got a military obligation. Obligation. So yeah. that was one of the reasons, and that was my dream. But when I went to school, at first I was a a, um, a business major. Well, mm-hmm. accounting got me out of that. Then, <laughs> so then I was like, I'm going to be the president of the United States. So I went to government, and then I was like, man, I don't really like the politics thing. So I tried an anatomy class and fell in love with it. But Honestly, the reason why I didn't go to kinesiology in the beginning was because, interesting how your your parents, what they say to you can get in your head. I, I remember hearing this in my head. Well, what are you going to do? Go to college and just be a, a PE teacher? Like, it was like a bad thing. Really? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, wait a second. Like, yeah, like, what's I, I might be a teacher and a coach. But I had that in the head, ingrained at a young age. Like, hey, if you're going to go to college, you go and you be an engineer, you do this or that. So... When I found out, I, I talked to one of my mentors, one of my oldest sister, Patty. She's like, listen, follow your heart, follow your gut, follow your intuition. If you love that anatomy class, do kinesiology and don't worry about the rest. You got to remember, 1992, when I was just switching majors, there weren't the opportunities in exercise science, kinesiology, strength and conditioning, no. training. It was pretty much, if you got your degree in that, you're probably going to go into teaching and, and go into coaching, which was fine. And I even took my fifth year and got my teaching credentials so I could do that. Um, but no, I didn't go to the intention with I was going to be a kines major. It was business and then government and then kines. Do you think, did you know, or do you think at that time that that degree would open doors for you, or were you looking for that to open no doors for you? No idea, because even after the degree, fifth year again, I, I, I played ball and and um, got my credential, but then I was like, you know what, I have more football than me. So I actually went overseas and played football over in Europe. So at first I was in Berlin, Germany, and then I was in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. who Kurt Warner came in the year after I was in Amsterdam and played with the Amsterdam wow. Admirals. Yes, yes. And then I, the following year, I ended up getting hurt. I blew up my back while playing over in Europe. I was 25 years old, and that was the end of my dream. So I was going through a real long, circuitous route to the NFL. Like, I still got a dream. And then when I had that back injury, three herniated discs, Ooh. spinal stenosis, degenerative back disease. They told me I had a back of a 75-year-old man. And when the doctor told me in French, uh, Z, you have a bad problem. Z, football career is over. I'm like, I'm not getting surgery in France. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I eventually, two months later, was able to sit upright and get home to the States. And um, long story short... I was back in the Jersey Shore, where I'm from, and I ran into this entertainer named Michael King. Michael King at the time was producing Oprah Winfrey, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Yep. And Michael said, I heard you were an athlete. I heard you had a back injury. I'm a former athlete. I'm a producer out in L.A. now. He's like, would you be willing to help me get my, my health right because I'm overweight. My back is bad. I need some motivation accountability. I was like, sure. I've got nothing else to do. So I became his trainer and his massage therapist. And uh, next thing I know, I'm living in Malibu, California, and I'm living in Sting's Beach House, the singer Sting, not the wrestler Sting. And uh, Sting's Beach Sting, House. Sting's Beach House. So I was I was literally in Europe six months before, 
trying to go to the NFL. Next thing I know, I'm like living in Sting's beach house in Malibu, thinking, how did I get here? <laughs> like, what is life? Like, I got thrown a major curveball. Like, and I still thought like an athlete. Um, and I'm walking the track of Pepperdine, and Michael King is like, Todd, I've been offered $2 billion to sell to CBS. Should I do it? I'm like, yes, sell, sell, $2 billion, sell, sell. I'm like, back then. Back, well, even now, that's So he's like consulting with me, his trainer. Like, should he sell King World Productions uh, for $2 billion? And I'm like, this guy, who is a, a, a mogul in Hollywood, is... Asking, asking me, for... but uh, that's how life has its its interesting twists and turns. And uh, man, next thing I knew, I'm living in in, in Hollywood and Malibu and training all these folks up there. And it was like, man, life has taken a left turn. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So what what was the first uh, gym that you opened up, or was Fitness Quest Ten the first gym you opened up? Uh, Fitness Quest Ten. It was definitely it's my first and only gym I've ever opened up because what happened is I'm in L.A. And I hated L.A. I don't know if you've ever, any of you listening have ever been in a situation where you're making good money on the outside. All my buddies, you know, were like, dude, you're living the life. You're living in Malibu. You're living in, in Sting's Beach House. And I'm like, I, in, deep down, I hated it. Like, on the outside, it was like the most glamorous thing ever. On the inside, I'm like, it is a void of soul and spirit up here. This is not me. It's wow. not where God intended me to be. Yep. And I, it was this weird, like, turmoil I was feeling on the inside. Again, at this point, I'm 26 years old, and I'm... I'm like, man, I'm good making good money. Life's easy because I only really had to train him and a few other people, and I was getting paid well. But I knew that wasn't where I was supposed to be. So I ended up moving to San Diego because I got a graduate teaching assistantship at San Diego State. The only reason why I went to San Diego State was I just didn't feel like driving across the country in my beat-up old Volvo, <laughs> who, who never would have made it. So I ended up at San Diego State. And uh, I was like, I'll spend two years here, and then I'll head back to the East Coast and teach and coach or do whatever. And um, first day at San Diego State, I met my future wife. So she was the aerobics instructor. And I'm like, I remember spotting her. She's like, you know, I'm looking at her calves. I'm like, whoa, I like this place. <laughs> right? So uh, I'm, the, I'm the graduate teaching assistant doing weight training and racquetball and making sure I check in on Melanie, make sure she's doing her job as a GTA. Sure. Get my graduate degree. And um, when I got finished there, to, to answer your question, she just got offered a job as a full-time college instructor in San Diego. I got offered a full-time job as a strength and conditioning coach back in L.A., but I'm like, if I take that job in L.A., then I'm going to be away from my future wife, who I wasn't engaged at the time. Right, I'm like, right. I'm going to start a long-distance relationship. That's not going to work. So I, didn't, I, I turned that job down, and I had really no money, no clients, no business plan. I'm like, hey, if there's ever a time to go for it, it's now. So I opened my gym in the fall of 1999 uh, with no clients, no money, no business plan. I'm like, let's go. Let's do see what we can do. And Mark, I got to tell you, the first three months, I was in phenomenal shape because I worked out like six hours a day here because I had no clients. Right. So I was just working out. I'm like, this is a good gig. And I'm like, wait a second. This isn't going to work too long. I got to get some Doors clients. Doors won't stay open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got I to find some clients. So that was, that was the first the start of Fitness Quest 10. And right here at the same facility this right is it, now. Where we sit, like, um, yeah, it was sacred space, all refurbished equipment, carpet on the floor. I had no money, so I maxed out like $60,000 in credit card. Not advised, but that's what I had to do. Sure. And, and I negotiated three months rent free to my landlord, who was like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a trainer. 
And he's like, wait, you're going to open a studio and not have memberships? Because you got to remember, in then year 2000, it was only big box gyms and clubs where you paid a membership. Yeah. $50 yep. a month, $100 a month, whatever Fitness, it is. I think, yeah. Any, any yeah. of it, right? Jack of Lanes, all of those. Yeah. And he's saying, wait, you're going to open a studio and not have memberships? You're, you're going to just have people come in and pay you? I'm like, yes, it's a different model. But it's a model that I learned over in Europe when I was rehabbing my back about I wanted people only to pay me when they were well. And if they got sick, then I don't want them to pay me. Right. So I wanted them to show up. The big box gym mentality is I don't want people to show up. I just want to get membership. I want people to show up. Yeah. I want to help people. And that was the, the beginning of Fitness Quest 10's mentality and, and philosophy and culture of really tending to people's bodies, minds, and souls. What were those? What was that first year like? Well, I look back now. I was like, wow, it was really simple. <laughs> but it, it, at the time, it didn't feel like that because I was like, man, how am I going to pay the bills? And I might get clients. Um, three months in, people started showing up. And before I knew it, I had, you know, Donna Dickinson, the 60-year-old tennis player, show up who had bad knees. And then Claudia Cohen and Daryl and Carla Wenhart. I still remember them because yeah. they are these are just regular folks from the community who wanted to lose weight, feel better, a little stressed out. And I next thing I know, I had an eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock AM sessions. And within that year, I was doing 35, 40 sessions per week. I'm like, you know what? I could do this for a few years and it's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And it, next thing I know, a year later, I started hiring trainers uh, because I was booked up and it grew organically. And we then expanded into an additional space. And then five years later, I took over in another 5,000 square feet. I started with 2,000 square feet, went to 3,000 square feet, and then 3,000 eventually went to 8,000 square feet. And um, that's what we have now, 8,000 square feet. Did you have at that time like a vision or a mission statement that uh, for your gym that you wanted to? No, no, no. Unfortunately, I would say when I when I say I had no business plan, I was winging it, and it was all passion and soul. And I wouldn't advise that to anyone now. It's just much more sophisticated, different times. Um, and I've worked a lot in the last two decades um, on be, be being more strategic about um, planning and visionary work and having goals. And I, I reverse engineer everything now, and obviously things happen like COVID that, you know, throw you for a loop. Sure. But no, honestly, when I was, had no clients, my sister mentioned Patty. She said, I'm like, Patty, I don't have any clients. She's like, listen, sit in the middle of your floor and I want you to visualize people there. How many people you want? What does it sound like? What is the, what is the, what's the vibration? Yeah, yeah. And I literally started doing that. I started literally sitting in that room and visualizing athletes, old men and women, young young boys and girls like this melting pot of everyone sure and all of a sudden things started happening there are times even to this day where i look back i'm like wow it all started with the power of the mind of visualizing what i wanted because i believe that that vibration that energy that mentality of like trying to attract that brought that and I'm a believer in the power of the, the positive mindset. thought. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and not that just because you think it, sure. it will be it. But I think when you think it, you put the energy out there. So when someone walks in the door and says, can I have a tour? I'm like, there's not much of a tour in a 2,000 square foot facility. But the connection between someone is stronger because of the power of you know, the desire and will to help someone else. So I believe that was uh, a really important part of 
the start of Fitness Quest 10. Sure. And you said that the you kind of had uh, some retired professionals. So what what time did your gym start attracting <laughs> active professional athletes? Interesting story, Mark. So we have my when I started, it was personal training, massage therapy, and Pilates. Those were the three things that I started because my wife, Melanie, who was a full-time instructor at a yep. college, she also taught Pilates. So I had Pilates. And I not only did training, I also did body work, massage therapy and rolfing sure. because it was part of my healing of my back pain with a mentor who I met in L.A. That's why God brought me to L.A. was to meet this mentor who I did work with. I share that story because... One day, a woman who had been doing Pilates at Fitness Quest 10 for close to two years, she comes up to me and says, hey, my husband has a bad back. Do you think you can help him? I said, absolutely. Bring him on in. I'll do some body work with him. And in walks this six foot six, 320-pound behemoth. I'm like, who is this guy? And it was Vaughn Parker. Vaughn Parker wow. was the left tackle for the San Diego Chargers. Yeah. Vaughn comes in. And I start working on his back. Now, interesting enough, this has never happened in my career. But for the first time, I'm working on this sideline hip rotator release technique. I've got my elbow in his glutes. And I start hearing this cracking and creaking. I'm like, man, he's got a bad back. It wasn't his back. The table was cracking. The table broke in <laughs> half. Ten minutes into the routine, <laughs> the table breaks in half. Vaughn Parker's lying on the floor looking up at me with his whites of his eyes like, what just happened? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> but a table just broke. So I'm like, what do I do? Do I stop the session? My first time working with a pro athlete, the table breaks. <laughs> so I'm like, I remembered literally I had just watched this video, VHS tape now, on, um, on Thai massage. I take off my shoes. I'm like, Vaughn, I know Thai massage. <laughs> I start doing time massage <laughs> with my back. foot on his glutes and his back. And he's like, this is great. I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing. No. Other than I was trying to use my intuition of like what was tight. I get done with the session. We took a picture literally, like probably with a Polaroid, of him holding up the sticks of the table. He's like, that was so good. He goes, do you think that if I talked to the athletic trainer at the San Diego Chargers, you would come down there and start doing this? After the games, I'm like, I could do the table massage, but not the time massage. No joke. Two weeks later, I'm the sports massage therapist to the San Diego Chargers. That lasted for two years. That's what got me introduced to LaDainian Tomlinson. LT calls me up the the day after the first time I met him. says, hey, when the season's over, I hear you do something called functional fitness. I'd like to train with you. LaDainian, the day after the season ends calls me up on a Monday, says, I want to start training. I'm like, you want two weeks off? He's like, no, I'll be in tomorrow. Comes in on that Tuesday, two days after the season ends. And that was the beginning of me training LT, LaDainian Tomlinson, for nine years. And then a few months after that, he brought his quarterback in, Drew Brees, who I trained for 18 years. He just obviously retired. But it, that's how it all started. Vaughn Parker and a broken table. So Vaughn would be your first professional athlete. And then yes. your, your your main client would probably be Ladanian that yep. came from that. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I think um, <laughs> one of the, yeah, that 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 in itself, was, was Ryan Leaf uh, around at that time or was it just before or after he had gotten? That was before. Before, yeah. okay. All right. Yep. Wow, what a small world. Small world. That could have been your one and only professional athlete, but it turned into what a... Uh, yeah. You know, well, how about you ad-libbing, though? That, yeah, ad-lib. And, and I didn't know what to do, so I was like, 
time. I, I, I literally I was like, I don't have another table. And it was, I remember calling the company afterwards and it was a good table. It wasn't like it was cheap and out. It was a good massage table. I He's called them. Man, I'm like, though. listen, I just had a $20 million athlete on my table. It broke in half. They're like, impossible. It's never happened. I'm like, I'm telling you, I just broke we'll a table. Send you photos. Right? And, and uh, lo and behold, uh, that was the start of uh, a great relationship with Vaughn, who opened up a lot of doors. But it was me having the confidence to try something like Thai massage. I didn't know yeah. Thai massage. But I also know going back to my, my uh, beginnings of massage therapy school, which I did in one of my off seasons when I was over in Europe. I'd come home for six months. I went to massage school one off season. Smart. So I learned that, and I, I uh, had heard about Thai massage, and I liked it because it, it in, in, in intertwined flexibility and all this stretching as part of it. So Vaughn was like, this is great. I'm so tight. I'm feeling opened up. I'm like, brother, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> and here, I, here it was. That's, that was the start of me getting into the incredible. Chargers. That's incredible. You talk a lot about not just your professional athletes, but also your, your regular everyday clientele mm-hmm. about a championship mindset. Explain to our listeners what a championship mindset means to you. Yeah. A championship mindset, I say all the time, get your mind right, get your mind right, get your mind right. I think a champion's, a champion's mindset starts with the little things. It starts with the little things, the discipline, the habits to do what it takes to put you in a position to get to where you want to go. So a champion's mindset is if you were a kid or you're a parent, you're like, I want to lose 25 pounds or I want to become a starter on my team. Great, you have a goal. But a champion's mindset allows you to really set the goal and then do everything necessary to follow through on a day-in, day-out basis when there's no one in the stands, there's no one in the crowd, you don't have social media on, and you're doing what is necessary to get you to where you want to go to put you in a position that you want to be in. That's the discipline, the sacrifice. When no one's watching. no one's watching. It's the early mornings or late at night or you're not going to – you're going to clean up your nutrition and and cut down on the sugars. Or if you're an adult and you're drinking too much, you're going to cut back on the alcohol or eliminate it. It's like things like that to me. It's all about habits. When you put yourself in the right situation and environment to succeed and you dial in your habits, then ultimately the champion's mindset is going to allow you to excel. For example – I have this guy, he's a fighter in the UFC, his name is Mike Chandler. He's actually fighting for the UFC lightweight championship May 15th, I think it is. Um, I just did one with Michael Chiesa in my podcast about a month ago. And Mike is a great guy, I've been working with him for seven years. Um, You'll have to have him on the show sometime. Awesome. But um, Mike, when when you think about a champion's mindset, epitomizes that. Why? Because he does all of the small things in his training, his nutrition, his recovery. And it's easy for someone to say, well, yeah, he's a paid athlete. Listen, I work with a lot of athletes. And it's never like because they're a paid athlete, they do it. It's, yeah, that's part of their job, but you got to have the intrinsic motivation, the internal desire to say, you know what, I want to tap out my my true best human potential to be the best that I can be to do that. And if that means I got to work on more yoga or flexibility or I got to get more soft tissue work, then you do those things and you treat yourself like the world-class athlete that everyone I believe is. It's there. Do you have the discipline to, to do the little things to create the habits that ultimately will allow you to become a champion. Yeah, I, well, I think there's a lot of athletes I know out there that get endorsed to do things and they become chronic, get more chronic pain yeah. from endorsing some of these products than they do benefit from yeah. them, you know? Well, Mark, think about this. Champions mindset, even in the business world. Sure. Like, as an entrepreneur, 
Are you constantly learning and investing in, in yourself, your team, your company? Um, are you evolving to the next iteration? I mean, here we sit in a room that was just created. Why? Because in today's day, there are people listening in all over the globe uh, into MVP talks. Yep. How? Because you are evolving to say, how do I reach more people? If you just stay the same, that's champions don't stay the same. If you keep doing what you've always got, you're probably just going to keep getting what you always got. I always tell Drew, who is like, okay, you get an MVP of, of a Super Bowl. Okay, Mark, you, you've done that. You got to find you got to find motivation the next year. Otherwise, you rest on your laurels, you'll get whooped. Absolutely, and you have to put that mindset you into work. It's yep. mindset. Yep, you are one of the uh, great motivational speakers in the country. And through listening to some of your public speaking, I've learned a lot of the why behind your inspiration. Hmm. What is your daily inspiration that you try to create with your clients and yourself and your family and everything? Well, I think my daily for me is my faith. My faith is what drives me is when I look about like divine purpose, like what's my purpose? I realize this and I think the pandemic reminded all of us how fragile life is and you know this mark as well as anybody um but when you think about life and time i learned it from my father um what i didn't share is at the age of 20 when i was at william and mary my father had a massive heart attack and he ended up passing away and what i realized is from 10 to 20 i had more of a dad than a lot of people have in a lifetime as a father of three kids now i realize the value of time and how important that is in everything I do. So now what drives me, and we talk about purpose and my why, is like it's time. And I want to die someday empty with nothing left in me. And there's days I'm tired. He's like, you wake up. No, there's days I'm tired. But I got to get find that inspiration from, from, from my God of saying, what, what do you want me to do today? What? Wait, you really want me to do that, God? You want me to make this pivot? Wait, you. <laughs> you and, and I talk in my book. I talk about it, tapping in your whispers, chapter nine, tapping in your whispers. Like, what's God telling you? And are you obedient to His call? Because a lot of times it's like, is that my ego talking or is that God? Is that my ego or is it God? And how do you know the difference between the two? And as my pastor always tells me. It's like if you keep hearing the same thing over and over and you're journaling it over and over, that's God. That's your spirit. That's your spirit talking, sure. right? That's your ego edging God out or edging greatness out. So that to me is one of my practices that I do is I try to, in my quiet time, journal out of those whispers. What am I hearing? Is that is that you got? And are you really telling me to trust you and make these changes and, and to pivot? Because the, the world's going to think I'm crazy if I'm doing this. Yeah. doesn't matter. Be obedient. Very passionate about what you do. That, I think that mm-hmm. comes naturally. When, as far as in the gymnasium, when you're talking to your masses in the gym, what mm-hmm. do you do for, uh, to the, try to exert that passion to these others to try to get them to feel that passion that you have? You'll like this one, and I, I, I miss this right now, a huddle, a huddle. You know, football yeah. huddle comes together. You get 11 guys together. You yeah. the play. They all go execute the play. In the fitness world, in the last 21 years, of doing what I do, when I'm speaking to the fitness world, we have huddles. And I'll have 50, 100, 500 people in a huddle. Now, that was pre-COVID. But let me tell you what, when you get a group of people in a huddle and you start chanting and singing and, and going, the the energy that is created is unlike anything else. Um, now, if it's a Zoom call or, or that, I can't wait. For me, I can't wait to get back to doing live things. 
Yeah. Like, I, I, I can't wait to go back to a live events. And as much as Zoom is going to You don't be, like watching no, Brady's uh, games from uh, the other side of a picket no, fence? No, I mean, you know <laughs> no, no. I, 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 like for me, I'm a very, like, hands-on. I love the people side of things. Um, so that, to me, is, is crucial. So huddles and having people gather um, is energy giving. It's, it's energy manifestation and creation so uh that's something i'm excited for in the future of, of getting that going again i don't know if that's gonna be three months six months a year from now but ultimately i can't wait for for us to get back to some uh more sense of normalcy oh, I, i'm with you <laughs> brother amen yep um what's your favorite part of uh, public speaking because i know your mm. uh, your energy and everything comes out and when just l- listening to your to your your speeches and your instagrams and things like that you can feel you and i i think one of the greatest compliments my sweetie heidi ever gets is like her people telling her it feels like you're reaching through the camera and giving me a hug yeah you know for what she does and for you it's probably something different what's your favorite part of public speaking i think the the favorite part is afterwards when someone says, you either saved my life, literally, I'll get an email or a text or a DM saying you are speaking directly to me. Um, See, what I do now is this is a little mental hack that I use. If it's a big group and it's live, like for me, if it's like a couple thousand people, like a big event or conference, that can can freak me out a little bit. Like even though I love it, I I really enjoy that. It it kind of like, man, how am I gonna reach everybody? I learned something a while back is like, don't speak to everybody, speak to one person. And I always think beforehand, I do this little routine I do to get my energy kind of flowing. I'm thinking, who's going to be the person today who I'm going to save? I'm going to only save one person. And that one person, that thought and challenge for me is when I'm looking at, I'm only talking to one. I just don't know who the one is going to be. So for me, my favorite part is speaking to one person, realizing I'm going to be speaking to thousands. Uh, Same thing on a podcast. Sure. Like, I'm like, who's the one person that's going to reach out to you, Mark, or me and and say, you know what? For wherever I am in my walk in life today, I'm at a low or I'm at a high or my kids having a struggle with abuse or school or bullying or whatever it is. And you spoke life into me. I do what I do because if I can make a difference in someone else's life, that's my purpose is to save lives. Period. Yeah. That's that's awesome, powerful too. Thank you, thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's great. All right, you're a book writer, huh? along with being an amazing speaker. You're also a best-selling author. There's so much uh, regarding your books. Uh, I would like to talk about your latest book, "Get Your Mind Right: mm-hmm. Ten Keys to Unlock Your Potential, Ignite Your Success." Can you tell me, uh, without looking at your book, what your ten keys are? <laughs> you say I'm a writer. Well, I wasn't I, always a writer. Right. Right. I wasn't always a writer. I learned how to write. My father taught me at, uh, in eighth grade on a ping pong table at 13 Edgewood Drive in Brick, New Jersey, how to write. <laughs> I was up for Pop Warner All-American, and um, I had to write 10 essays. There's like, a Pop Warner All-American? <laughs> sure is. As a matter of fact, when I got it, Jim Kelly was the keynote speaker. I still no remember way. Philadelphia, PA. Uh, Jim <laughs> Kelly, still remember it, 1984. Good man. Um, Good man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the reason why I say that is because I learned to write that day when it said, you know, there was the essay question. My, my father said, listen, here's how you start it. Here's how you start the essay. Fourth and one. The game is on the line. The clock is running out. And the ball is in my hands. 
and he said, you always start an essay in writing with a captivating intro. And then you've got to have beef in between the intro and you have a strong story to close it out always. And I learned, I wrote these 10 essays and I end up getting Pop Warner All-American, not because I could write, because sure. you know, it was a combination of yep. academics and athletics, yep. but fast forward to even the latest book, Get Your Mind Right. I wrote that book, Mark, after my first knee replacement in a, in a chair. I, was, I, was, I had a knee replacement, I was late 40s. And I'm like, wow, I'm too young to have a knee replacement. But that was God's way of sitting me down and shutting me down to write the next book because sometimes when you're down and out if you can cathartically write and i do some good writing when when there's down times or if i'm in a bad place or like during the pandemic i was writing a lot um for me it's a form of kind of like emotional healing but i wrote that book and and it's the first one is about overcoming fear and dreaming big Overcoming fear, dream because fear paralyzes people, and obviously sure. we've got to be in that dream state. And then we get into habits and how habits are going to form, allow us to take our dreams and to manifest them by the habits. So I share some rules that I have for my life. I've got 13 rules for my life that if I do my rules, then life's going to be pretty good. If I don't do my rules, then I'm not going to be on point to allow me to potentiate my dreams. I talk about the power of the mind and thought because your thoughts become your words. Your words become your flesh. Your flesh become your actions. Your actions become your character, and your character ultimately becomes your legacy, all from what you think. So how do you think differently? How do you change your thoughts if you're stuck in toxic thinking, or right. you're around toxic people, you're in toxic environments? How do we shift that? So I talk about that whole, like, how do we get um, into that um, positive state of mind, along with, of course, as in all of my books, there's a training, nutrition, and recovery uh, chapters three chapters on that of like how you train, eat, and recover to get your mind right, what you do to to do that. And of course, again, chapter nine is tap into the whispers and, and uh, chapter 10 in the book is all about live a life worth telling a story about what's your story. So like when, when you're on my show, uh, I asked you about your story. I love hearing about people's backstories. Yeah. Like how did you get to where you are today? Because especially like with celebrities or athletes or performers, People see where people are at today and they forget the adversity they've been through. They forget totally. the challenges or the depression or the bankruptcy or the divorce. All the stuff that people forget, you just think, oh, they, she or he got here by a chance. No, it was because of all these setbacks. And um, that's what chapter 10 is all about, like live a life worth telling a story about. Whatever your story is, use your story with where you're at today so that you can actually get to live your dream, whatever your dream is. Right, right. So that's that's it. Get your mind right. It came out in the middle of the worst time in, in, the, uh, in, in the planet's history. Yeah, but you're not doing anything really at that point in time. You might as well write a book. Right. You're sitting in a wheelchair. You know, and <laughs> and how, long, how, long, how long a recovery was that for you and your uh, knee replacement? Well, the, the hard part was six weeks. And then after six weeks, it was like, okay, start to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And at the three-month mark, you're like, okay, God, it's like a new lease on life. So for me, it was like... Did you push the envelope a little bit against the doctors? uh, I did. Yeah. I can only imagine you probably did. It's like the athlete mindset. If the doc says six weeks, I'm going to do it in three weeks. Or if he says three months, you're like, okay, a month and a half. Six weeks, yeah. (laughs) Totally, because it's supposed to be three months of doing nothing. I'm not recommending that, folks. I'm not saying do that. Uh, But... Interesting question is one of the things that that I've tried to do is to slow down. And in the pandemic, um, Pastor, I do a a weekly Bible study with, um, 
it's like what 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 are you, what are you being told right now and, and we'd write it down it's like slow down slow down yeah. for me that's really hard it's like you know like I, is that I, possible i don't know but <laughs> i it's hard but i know that every time i slow down something magical happens Unfortunately for me, it's usually because I need surgery and I, I don't have a choice. I slow down and I'll come up with a book or something. And I don't know, just God works in, in mysterious ways. Yeah, I don't always want to use like having to get a surgery to, to slow down. But uh, I think sometimes when you can slow down, you can actually speed up. Okay, I have to ask you because 13 is my, my Heidi's number, you know, and you said 13 things you follow. You didn't mention any of the 13 things. Do you have the 13 things you want to? could share with us i can tell you the first rule that i have is don't turn my phone on these are rules i live by sure Third, don't turn my phone on first thing in the morning number one rule because what happened is when i was before i wrote my rules up i was turning my i'd get up i turn my phone on and i start checking my phone i realized phone my phone was giving me anxiety so i i check my texts my emails my my instagram and, and next thing i know i was wasting 20 minutes on my phone and I'm like, I'm I'm starting my day on everyone else's agenda. Yeah. So I, I set a rule number one, don't turn the phone on. Go into your morning routine right away. So now I don't turn my phone on until I'm done with my morning routine. So I, I get down, I get my quiet time, I get in my, my, my gym, I start working out, I listen to podcasts, um, I don't turn the phone on. And uh, when I'm done with taking care of me, I call it my holy hour, first hour is me, then I can turn my phone on and then I can react to everyone else's business because now my mind is set versus just like reacting to everyone else because as you know, you get blown up with texts and DMs and yep. emails and teammates and everything else that needs stuff. And I was like, man, I can't live like this. So that's my first rule. I can, I, I, I can keep well, going. <laughs> well, we want to hear all 13. I mean, maybe not. Maybe not okay, a, a, I won't tell you all that. A couple other ones. Two just a couple other ones. Two, yes, two beers a month. Two beers a month. Two beers. Two beers. I went to Canada. I was at Motivation Talk. I shared my How rules. did you go to Canada and only have two beers they said, a month? I th they're like, is that a mistake? Should that be two beers a night? I said, no, that's my rule. You set your rules. What my <laughs> rules are isn't important. What, what's important is you set your rules. For me, two beers a month. Um, two, two beers a month for me, if, if I'm on point, couple beers every now and then is a good thing if i'm doing it every night or a couple times a week i'm not what happens is then i i'm not uh i i just don't feel good your mindset I, isn't I, there well what happens is <laughs> then my morning routine gets off because my sleep is disrupted which another one of my rules is to go to bed at 10 o'clock every night why because especially during the pandemic but i set these rules even before the pandemic is uh, be like, what's your morning routine? What's your morning routine? I'm like, it doesn't matter what my morning routine is if I don't have my nighttime routine because your nighttime routine yep. is off, then you don't have a morning routine because you didn't yep. sleep. So I have the three, two, one uh, routine that I use before you go to sleep. Three hours before you go to bed, don't eat. Two hours before you go to bed, stop working. Because I used to always work up until like, like minutes before I'd go to sleep. Two hours, cut off work. And then one hour, it's all self-care. So everything from I have a red light therapy, I'll sit in front of my wall for 10 minutes, reading, prayer, stretching, like yep. it's total self. And I'm like, man, can I do this? If it, When I'm living my best and I'm really dialed into my nighttime routine, especially that last hour, I sleep good, I wake up and I'm ready to rock and roll into my morning routine, which don't turn the phone on, get in, get that workout in, and boom. So I'm gonna look directly in camera to Lou Gonzalez. We just talked about this in Palm Springs, Lou. Just listen to this man, okay? There you go. Um, all right, let's move on to NBC's 
strong. Ooh. 2016, you got to take part in the NBC's reality competition show. It was a show that featured you as one of the 10 trainers and 10 trainees. You didn't just train your teammate. You also you also got a chance to compete against them uh, alongside them during the show. What was that experience like? Awesome. Absolutely awesome. It's on Netflix now if you ever want to watch it. Yeah, kids, kids love it. I've seen bits um, of it. Adults yep. like it. Yep. Um, I'd say this. I don't know, Mark, if you've ever been in a place in your life where four or five years ago, I needed a different challenge. I was kind of bored with everything. Like, oh, that's I was, every day. I, I was doing that. everything, <laughs> and everything was good. Sure. I'm like, I gotta, I need something to challenge me deeper. Like, I gotta, I gotta get outside the normal routine of Fitness Quest 10 and doing what I'm doing. I, I just needed something. I didn't know what it was. The next thing I know, I get a phone call from a new show, NBC, produced by Sylvester Stallone, who was like, I grew up the biggest Rocky. Did you get to meet Rocky. him? Yes. He was the producer of the show. I grew up the biggest Rocky fan of anybody. Man, I am, How could we not? Man. <laughs> so I... Uh, I had to give up quite a bit to did go ever, on that Did you show. ever have the raw eggs? Have you ever? Did Absolutely. You, ever drink, you did drink back the raw day, eggs. Back in the day, 100%. Hey, Jersey guy, yeah. Jersey guy, wearing the gray hoodie. Well, I think I wear a gray hoodie all the time. There you go. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I get invited after months and months of all this stuff, but five, five things had to happen for me to go on the show. Number one, I had to make sure that I was willing to be away from my family for three months with no contact. Yeah, you they, can't they tell anyone phone. anything. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. I'm like, they take your phone. I'm like, I don't know. I had to have a hard heart with my wife and kids. <laughs> like, listen, this could happen. My business, I have 42 employees at the time, and I was leaving my business, which was, you know, in the seven figures. And uh, it's a business. It's a big business with 42 people, and I believe it. Um, also, my father died of a heart attack. So they had to say, okay, in order for you to be on the show, you got to have a heart scan, have a dye shot into your heart. Um, and I'm like, man, I don't know if I want dye sh shot into yeah. my heart and, and this. And I eventually did and, and um, did that. And that was sponsored by Under Armour. I am sponsored by Under Armour. And Under Armour had to approve that if it was sponsored by another apparel did company. Did you get to meet Kevin Plank? And, oh, Kevin yeah. Plank and I, I've known Kevin for 13 years. Yeah, I know Kevin. My daughter worked for Under Armour. Okay. Yeah, so KP was yeah. – KP – when I told him what I was doing, he said, Todd, if this is going to help your career, you do it. Absolutely. That's great. So that was it. And the last one was <laughs> I had, I had a, an event planned, a mentorship that Heidi's been to. I had a $30,000 contract with the hotel. And they said, if you get out of this contract, you owe us $30,000. I end up having to pay $30,000 to the hotel because I'm like, I'm willing to find out what I'm going to do and what I'm made of. And I took all five of those risks and went on strong. And strong is, I was up in Malibu. It was over up to 10 weeks long. If you and your teammate, a female who is trying to change her life, you were paired with, uh, if you went all the way to the end and, and won, you got a half a million bucks. It was never about the money for me, but I was like, I just got to try something and, and like go deep. And, and I did. you became the runner up. Well, what happened was I go on the show and the, the, the girl who I was with initially... She's like, first day, she's like, I hate train. I hate competing. I'm like, uh, uh you got you the wrong trainer. <laughs> <laughs> so you got the wrong guy. <laughs> Mike, can we make a trade? No, I ended up getting ousted with her. And um, 
and that was week three. I come home to San Diego, and let me tell you, in three weeks, it was so physical. I tore my labrum in my shoulder. I hurt my back, and my knee, my knees were aggravated. I come Holy home. Smokes. It was not. It was brutal. If you watch the show, you'll see. It was brutal. <laughs> I come home. I limp home. I'm literally, at that point, my kids were still young. My, I'm at the sideline of my kids' Pop Warner football game. I'm home two days. Phone rings. It's Sylvester Stallone. He's like, uh, Todd, uh, Sly, you need to get back up to Malibu. I'm like, for what? He's like, we have an opportunity for you to get back in the game. There's a little twist we're going to announce in two days. I need you back up here. I'm like, Sly, I tore my labrum. I blew up my back again, and my knees are right. He's like, I, I can't compete. He's like, I need you back up here. So two days later, no way. I leave my family again, and they're like, Dad, you can't <laughs> compete. You're going to kill yourself. And they all bet, hedge their bets. No, no, I wouldn't win. I go back up into the into Malibu, and I'm um, uh, the day of the event to get back in the game. I'm the oldest trainer, and I compete. But Mark, you know this. You still got it in you. If someone challenges you to something, you're like, game on, let's go. And I, that's what happened. I flipped the switch. Adrenaline kicks Adrenaline, in. Adrenaline, and let me tell you what. It was this massive four-story wow. tower. It was brutal, and I went cray-cray. And I, I went and I beat this guy by three seconds. I get back in the game. I don't know how. I, I, honestly, it was my, I, I, no joke, my father's spirit carried me through that. That's another story. But it was whack. It was crazy. Really? Get on the, I get back in the game. That was week five. Week five, I get paired with this girl. Next thing you know, week five, six, seven, eight, nine. We win everything. We're winning every night, every night, every night into week 10, the finals. And uh, it was a crazy, crazy time. It was unbelievable. And you couldn't tell anyone. You had to keep silence for all that whole time and couldn't tell time. who won until the no. show ended. I, I did a big, I did big break NFL for golf, you know, and it was it was awful because everyone said, oh, what'd you do? I watch the episodes. You'll, was, you'll find it out. It was six months at least. At least six months before we could, it actually aired on NBC prime time, and and um, the thing was was man, the, it says it was a ten week program, but the last five weeks was really filmed in about thirteen days, and yeah. we kept losing in this thing, so we had to keep going in this tower, which was beating us to heck, and um, uh, by the time on the last day. Uh, we had to hit this 720-pound wall. I had nothing left. My partner had nothing left. We were shot. And so we, we ended up losing uh, at the very end. But let me tell you, it was the most amazing experience. That's awesome. And uh, it was just one of those times I need to be challenged physically, more than physically, mentally, to go to another level that uh, I wanted to go to. Did it also help you mentally, too, to find out that you can leave something that you've really stood behind your work you know, family that you love to death and everything and know that life can keep going on too. Yeah, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. It was it was like, okay, I left for three months and they're like, hey, business is better. I'm like, I need to be leaving more often, man. <laughs> like, it's right, funny. Like, yeah. Right. You do. You find out about certain things in life, you know, when you say, uh, you know, gosh, I really feel bad about doing this, but I got to do it. And then you find out, should have done it anyway. Yeah, 100%. Guess, yeah. and we, you know, we have a great team here. And, you know, I, as as we progress here, I, again, I built my team up. I got a partner coming in, Jeff Bristol, to help the FQ10 brand so I can do more and more of these types of things sure. that are going to stretch me. Uh, because I think all of us, we're always asking ourselves, like, what's next? I don't care if you're yeah. 30, if you're 50, if you're 70. Like, what can I do to continue to evolve as a man or a woman um, so I can be challenged to, to get to the next level? Well, I mean, you've... You're at the top of, uh, of anyone at Mount Rushmore when it comes to health and fitness, and your resume speaks volumes for itself. Um, 
and I have some closing things I like to do. But before that, I got, you know, and I'm going to say it, I think our kids got, because it's my podcast, our kids got fucked in this COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. These kids, your son, yeah. got screwed royally from his graduating senior high school, not having a senior. Our kids got screwed through all this freaking COVID stuff. Yep. Talk about your son, Brady, and his uh, four years and what he's done and what he's gone through. And, and yeah. I know I, I saw your uh, Instagram post the other day and, um, you know, I thought that was that was great what you said and how much a, a father loves his son is, is your dad coming back in your life. Go ahead and speak. Yeah, to no, it's I tell you, man, Mark, it's it's been a crazy time for everyone. Let me just say for everyone, I get it. If you are a senior in high school, you know how hard it is because you didn't have your classmates, you didn't have a sport or even a, your your musicals, your theater, all of it, right? Totally. Um, as a father with three kids, all athletes, um, two sons, Luke and Brady, and then McKenna. Um, Brady is my middle child. He's a sophomore. Luke is the senior. Oh, Luke's a senior. Luke's a okay. senior. Okay, Luke's so, a senior. They're, but they're freaking frack. Like they're, they're they're like I don't know. I'm like Luke's going to college next year down in North Carolina. I'm like I don't know if you're going to survive without your buddy, your your brother, because I mean Brady's by his his side all the time. But what happened was this during COVID. I told the kids, it was like March 18th, we shut down the shop here. I'm like, listen, we're going to go one of two ways. I don't know if this is going to last for two weeks, two months, two years or whatnot. But we've this got is March 18th to 2020. Is 2020. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm like, you, there's a choice. You can either get better or you're going to get worse. One or two things will happen. And the only way you're going to get better is you're going you're to train most days of the week, go on a program, and you're going to – Luke, you say you want to play college football, and you had a good junior year, but you've got to now create your opportunities because recruiters, everything shut down, you're going to have to recruit yourself. And in today's day, I don't care what sport you play, you, unlike when we were playing, Mark, they recruit you. Now you got to recruit yourself unless you're a five-star athlete, which most athletes Shh, aren't. aren't. And they're, thank God for huddle for some of these 100%. kids. 100%. Yep. Luke, to, to his – to his and by the uh, way, huddle is a H U D L. It's a it's a thing we can send out. Man, so oh man, talking about a huddle because we talked about the huddle yeah, earlier, which it's is unbelievable huddle. Yeah, um, Luke starts contacting all these colleges, and like I, 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 when I was going up, my father made this grid, handwritten grid, every college in the country, population, did it. It was handwritten. Well, nowadays everything's online. So Luke, we started looking at NESCACs and Ivies and all of that. You know, Dad, I want to play at Alabama. <laughs> you know, every kid was like, Why not? he's got FBS, you know, all the. I'm like, listen, great, great to dream. But let's start like, you know, with the University of Chicago's and the Carnegie Mellons and, you know, these the schools that are great schools. <laughs> yep, like, yep. where are they? <laughs> right? Like, listen, if you go to one of these schools, you're set. I want to go to FBS school. Okay. We're going to start at the NESCACs and we're going to go to the guy, you know, all these. All right. And we did, and 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 to his benefit, and what what he did was he started contacting all of the coaches at all of these schools, and now what they do is they all communicate via Twitter. It's all on Twitter, <laughs> so he there's Twitter relationships, and next time he'd come down and he'd be like, "Hey, Dad, Carnegie Mellon's interested, Johns Hopkins interested, hey, University of Chicago just offered," uh, and all these schools. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you're kidding!" It's now like May, and he's getting all these schools. Well. Long story short, when all was said and done, uh, in June of 2020, he had about 12 different schools offer him opportunities or scholarships to go to their schools or universities, some FBS. But I'm like, listen, you got to go to a place where you're most wanted. You got to go to a place where you think there's a future and you're going to get your education. And we actually ended up in June taking a trip down to two schools, my alma mater, William Mary, which had offered him. And a school called Davidson, 
in yes, North Carolina, yeah. where that's, yeah, like, Steph, oh, that's Curry. Steph Curry's from. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Uh, and he loved Davidson. I'm like, listen. Great it's campus. June. Yeah. I'm like, Luke, if you love it, and they have shown the most love out of anybody, commit now. He's like, no, because if I have a season and I can go to Ivy League or I can. I'm like, nope. You you commit if you know that's where you you think you want to go. You you can you commit there, and if there's a season, everything else, then reevaluate. He's like, I, I love Davidson. I'm like, commit because Davidson's a great school, great academics. Yep. He commits in June. Seasons canceled in the fall. We just finished right now here. In, I know in four April games, twenty twenty one, five games, five games, and all along the pressure was off him because he committed to the school that recruited him the best that he so loved. Enjoy as much and as enjoy he- it. He's one of the lucky ones. Because there's a lot of kids out there, some I coach, who are just as talented as Luke is, but they didn't work as hard in the, in the pandemic at getting recruited. Um, or they fell through the cracks, and they're talented, and they did, but there's not enough offers. And the NCAA said, hey, we're, we're going to offer, uh, it's not going to count as eligibility, so now you have fourth and fifth-year seniors coming back. And, and there's a lot of kids right now who could play college athletics, boys and girls, that this senior class is now going against kids who are going to be essentially sixth-year seniors in some cases. So it's an interesting class. I keep telling both my boys who want to play, and McKenna's only in middle school, is like, listen, be where your feet are at. Be where your feet are at. Just focus on the process of getting better. It's all going to work out. If you're at a school like a Davidson where you know that's where you want to be and you're going to compete, you get your education, it's all going to work out. And that's that was the process during the pandemic. That's it's crazy, awesome. man. What? Uh, how was it for you to watch behind a chain-link fence through these football games? It's- as well, much as you like to be there. Do they start opening up a little bit? Well, I was an advocate for all parents um, being in the stands because I actually am a coach. I am the strength edition coach and the quarterback's coach, so I was helping Luke. So I'm, sure. I was actually on the field, but in some of the news, uh, I, I was on, on the news uh, advocating parents to be in the stands because the state of California said no parents allowed. No one's like, wait a second. We're around the kids all the time. There's stadiums with 3,000 people could fit, and you, you say you can't have 200 people in. That makes zero, zero sense. sense. After a few games, they finally said, okay, families up to four can go in the stands. And the last few games, the kids got to play in front of a couple hundred people, their families, and that. And uh, the bottom line, though, is the kids got to play. And kids need to play mentally as much as physically. And some Amen. of the other semantics and politics of everything else is a joke. And it irritates me. And I stood up. I put my name and reputation on it. But I'm like, at the end of the day, let the kids play. Let them. I mean, come on. Let's go. These kids. There's going to be a bigger pandemic on the back end of this with talk about mental health with kids, with the lack of socialization and community and all that. That uh, that's what worries me more than the actual pandemic. Yeah, Talked a little bit on your show on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, huge, absolutely. All right, uh, you know, I had a chance to speak in which be on the Todd Durkin Impact Show. For everyone here, tell us uh, tell us about your podcast and where they can find it and be a part of it. What's great about it is I get to talk to guys like you on my show, well, right? And and have great guests. No, you know, interesting enough, two years ago I had the idea. I've of, got 17 followers, so to all these 17 <laughs> followers, make sure you tell them where oh, we can find them. No. Yeah, but too, right? um, no, honestly, it was like one of the questions I was asking myself is if, if my goal and purpose and why is I want to impact millions of people to greatness, one of the ways that I can do that besides speaking is a podcast. So um, I've got a great team that helps me with that. 
and um, you know we've got about 180 episodes now that we're in into it comes out twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays and um, many of them are guests like when I had you on the show here recently and then uh, some are just monologues with me talking about a topic and sometimes it's uh it could be fitness related but it's also about mindset about getting your mind right and what can you do and i love again hearing stories of people and um i try to deliver value in all the impact episodes and and that stuff so i spend a fair amount of time the podcasts are are way more time than just sitting down for an hour and 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 talking to a guest but i take pride in that because i realize we're reaching a lot of people all across the world literally um with that and i love hearing from people not only from the u.s but uh across the across the universe well you got a great message tell us where else we can uh on social media we can find you online yeah and and after uh, that i want you to tell everyone where they can find you your book and for me i want to find can i get your book as an audio book i'm not a very good yeah. reading reading comprehensive guy but i'm a good audio guy so the answer is yes you can okay. it's all audio um the get your mind right book and wow book is audio and you can get that on amazon um toddurkin.com is my website it has all of the, anything that i do but the toddurkin impact show is on anywhere that you listen to podcasts mm-hmm. and um i hang out on social media on instagram quite a bit so instagram is my name there, at yeah. todd durkin at todd durkin and we've got all the other channels to facebook and youtube and that but uh a lot of my time goes to the Instagram right now and I, I talk to a lot of people uh, on IG and in the DM and, and all that stuff. That's awesome. We got a great message. Before I forget, I'd love for you to touch a little bit on your Todd Durkin Mastermind Program and Impact Coaching. Yeah, two things. We talk about impact. Like yourself, Mark, um, when you started your foundation, 2012, I started my Impact Foundation, and we scholarship high school seniors. So if you're a high school senior now, anywhere in the U.S., uh, we until uh, May 15th, we're accepting applications for that. We, we've scholarshiped over $250,000 in scholarships um, in the last several years. Wow. So uh, the applications are on toddurkin.com, uh, and some of our philanthropic efforts are back into the Impact Foundation year-round, so um, that's an important note. My mastermind program, that is primarily for coaches and trainers who are looking to get to the next level professionally as well as personally. I'm a huge believer in personal growth. You can only go as far as you grow. So um, with the trainers that I influence, we have the mastermind program, different levels of that, and I coach them in business and leadership and in branding and marketing, uh, in training, semantics and methodologies, as well as personal growth. And its sister program to the Tyler Good Mastermind program to non-trainers is what's called impact coaching. So impact coaching I have now, just started that last year. That's the same type of program for entrepreneurs, high performers, for non-fit pros called the impact coaching program. All of that is at toddurkin.com. Amazing. I don't want to put you on the line, but I'm going to put you on the line. Love it. Of all the athletes that you've trained, who would you say would be your Mount Rushmore, your top five? Mm. Is there how many presidents? Four? Three? Four? Top four. (laughs) Top four. Well, I would say LaDainian Tomlinson because he was kind of like the one that put me on the map. Uh, LT and I had a very special relationship 2003 when we started training um he entrusted his career to me and and um 
I always, I always liken that relationship uh, to like a boxer because he was a boxing fan and UFC, the mixed martial arts wasn't really big back then. And uh, we grinded, man. It was, we had some epic, epic sessions. And he, I actually had to slow Ladanian down because he built a hill in his backyard, would train here, then go home and run. And like, he was a maniac and I loved him. Um, and Drew Brees, Drew and LT, those are my guys. Like they, they were trained together, and uh, those those sessions right there. Uh, Eighteen years, man. I had the opportunity to to train Drew, sure. and um, it, it went beyond training because we talked about life, parenting. Um, you know, my kids are a little bit older than his, so he's gonna be picking my brain. I was like, "Listen, how do you how do you teach your kids the same work ethic that you had when you have millions of dollars? If you have a million dollars, how do you teach your kids the same things that you grew up with in Texas? Had the same conversation with LT. Like, how do you how do you instinctually do that if your kids are getting what you've always said you wanted to do for your kids? These are conversations I'd have. Like, so begin mentoring uh, those guys and. Beyond just the training world as well. Next one, I'd say Sprolesy, Darren Sproles, man. Uh, another uh, 11 years I was with Darren. And uh, Darren Sproles, um, five foot six, 190 pounds, quiet, and just a motor that never stops, and a workout warrior. And again, there was a time where LT, Drew, and Sprolesy would train together. Um, and I'll tell you, it was... Uh, wow, that must have been intense. It was... It, I can't even I can't even describe all when when that's going on, everyone in the gym it's like no one else it's 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 time to get better. You talk about championship mentality, um, certainly that was that was one. Um, if there's one more, I guess I'd say this. And this anyone is, in any of the other sports like baseball or hockey, or yeah, there's a lot of yeah, San the baseball Diego world, down the here. The baseball and, world, Chris Young, Chris Young, Chris Young. Yep. You don't know his name. He's now the president and uh, CEO of the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Chris is six foot ten. He's a pitcher. Was a pitcher for the Padres, and um, and uh, he was a Princeton graduate. Played basketball and baseball at Princeton. Extremely smart. He came in and said, "Hey, TD, um, I, you know, I've been I've been following you. I see what you do. Uh, I want to take my baseball, my pitching, to the next level." And I train Chris for she's close to ten years. And uh, he had an illustrious 13-year career yeah. in Major League Baseball. A few years ago, was in the front offices of MLB as Joe Torre's right-hand man, and then uh, just recently got got uh, to be the present CEO of um, of the Rangers. So, why? Because of the mindset. And Chris would be like, "Hey, if you need me to talk to any of the kids anytime, he talk to." It doesn't matter what sport. Um, he'd come out and talk about choices and, and being good in yeah. school and that. So Chris Young was a great role model, and he always trained. So uh, him, Tony Gwynn Jr., uh, was awesome to work with uh, on the baseball side. Nick Hunley, uh, Will Venable. Uh, I'll tell you, the list goes on and on with, with some of those legends. That's incredible. Yeah. Last is, do you have or do you associate with some mentorship coaches across the country trainers across the country that you would consider to be um influential in 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 some of the things you do i'm sure yeah. there's a lot of people but is there anyone in any one in particular i'd hate to i'd hate to say any one because in, in my mastermind program is really where i do a lot of my deep coaching 
and uh, we've got a couple hundred trainers that if someone was to contact me like they did just a few days ago and said, hey, I'm down in Florida and I'm, I'm dealing with some health issues and uh, I need some uh, accountability and some know-how and nutrition and, and everything else, I have a, a cadre of people who I pull from my master right now and I just align them up because I know they're of the same philosophy and mentality that I have. Obviously, sure. everyone's got different gifts and different strengths, but I, I get to know these people at my live events that I have. We've got our next one coming up next month. Um, so I'd hate to say just one, but we've got, we've got some of them the folks I mentor, the, the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Um, we've got them in different pro sports as well as a lot of brick and mortar studio owners who've you know experienced a lot of hard times in the last year with the COVID yeah, yeah. pandemic. Um, 50% of our, our members are brick and mortar gym owners in that mastermind. But we got a great, great community. I call them fire breathing dragons. Like they're like on fire for fitness and, and making people better. So that's part of what I do now is is uh, is the coaching aspect, and I love that coaching other trainers and coaches how to coach people to greatness. Yeah, Todd Durkin, you're an inspiration, man. Mark, great I to love you, here, brother. brother. You Pleasure too, to man. have you on. Thank you for having me. MVP talks. Cheers. Peace. Good.